Mentally, it's very hard to push yourself that hard and uh, wake up and have motivation. Uh, I took the concept of sleeping so many minutes and then just hiking as far as I could and then sleeping for so many minutes. So a lot of times on my speed record, I would sleep right on the trail and then I would sleep till someone would walk by and then I'd wake <laughs> up and they'd ask me basically if I was okay. And I was like, yeah, thanks, man. You just woke me up. I'm ready to go again. They had absolutely nothing to disprove, like my speed record, but they were just like trying to bash me constantly. It was just like, it didn't feel like I broke a speed record. It felt like I was being interrogated constantly because like, yeah, what I went through was no one should ever go through that. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Aaron, and it's the Simply Overcoming Podcast. Welcome back to another episode. I am so excited about today's episode. I'm beyond stoked, and that is because when I think of adventure, the first person that comes to my mind is today's guest. And really, I can't believe I haven't reached out to him sooner. Dan Bendy is the very definition of a through hiker, in my opinion. Dan has walked over 20... 24,000 miles since 2015 through hiking many long distance trails such as the Pacific Crest Trail, the Continental Divide Trail, and the Appalachian Trail. And in fact, in 2017, Dan was able to accomplish his main goal of breaking the self-support speed record of the Appalachian Trail. And I'm really excited to dive into that today. But you know, Dan has also toured Alaska three different times on foot. He's crossed the Brooks, uh, the Brooks Range twice. And then in 2020, he was back in Alaska traversing 2,500 miles. Amongst Dan's many physical endurance feats, Dan also has a crazy story about getting stuck in India in early 2020 when the world was hit by the unspeakable virus. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> Dan's been some places. Basically, this guy has it going on. So, Dan, first off, thank you for being open and willing to be on the podcast today. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for reaching out to me, man. It's been quite the adventures the last couple of years. Yeah. So, you know, I have to first of all ask you, have we met somewhere along the way? Because I know we were both on the PCT in 2015, and I think you reached out to me on Facebook a few years ago, but I could never remember if we ran into each other or if we just connected through one of the <laughs> Pacific Crest Trail pages. That's that's a good question, man. Um, I thought I might have ran into you when I was hallucinating on the my Appalachian Trail speed record, but <laughs> that's what I was thinking, but it I probably not that. Oh, no kidding. No, I've never been on the Appalachian Trail. Uh, definitely something that I'd like to do in the near future, but that hasn't happened yet. No, I've, I've, I spent um, a little bit of time in 2015 on the PCT. I just did about half of it. But anyway, and I know you yeah. were there on, in 2015 as well. So I was just curious. Definitely. I mean, you see the people in the notepads and stuff and reaching out names come and go up and down the trail very fast. So totally, totally man. Good chance of that. I just wanted to mention, you know, don't be afraid to interject if you have a story or experience that is particularly on your mind. I mean, I look at this as like a 
a uh, a legacy piece for you? Yeah, sometimes it can be the smallest little things and it'll spark an idea of like, or not idea or like something that's happened on my journeys. I'm like, oh yeah, like I totally forgot about that till like someone brings something up, so. Yeah, and I suppose with all the stories and experiences that you've had, a lot of those things are kind of on the back of your mind, so. You know, when we spoke yesterday, you briefly said to me, and I quote, you said, today was cray cray. I was working on my skulls from Alaska. <laughs> Bro, I yes. do want I do want to talk to you more about that in a little while. But uh, first of all, where are you where are you calling from? Where are you from? So I basically grew up in Lake Park, Minnesota, and I went to high school um, there for 18 years and I went to college uh, an hour west is about Fargo Moorhead area and that's my home base so basically every year after I get done hiking I come back to Fargo crush some hours and start traveling or training and um, thinking about ideas and routes and planning as much traveling as you do does it still feel really good to come home temporarily yeah definitely yeah. yeah, there's just nothing like home. I mean, it, it's kind of weird because like I can't even remember what summers are like in Minnesota because I'm gone every summer. So it's got it's been nice to be back in Minnesota this year. Nice, excellent. Oh, I meant to ask you, how did the Boundary Waters trip turn out? Or are you still working on that? Yeah, so I was planning on doing every lake above 100 acres, and so I made a crazy route through there's a central section and it's right roughly 550 lakes above 100 acres it's 1.1 million acres so it was about 1200 mile route and portaging and getting more food and planning different routes and i made it through half of it and uh, about 600 miles and i was okay. catching massive northerns walleye bass it was it was a lot of fun. I was just like a lot of the lakes started looking alike and uh, the fishing, the fishing was good, but yeah, the lakes started looking alike and there wasn't too much of a change, which I was looking forward to. Like, you know, out on the Pacific crest trail, it's like every like hundred miles, you can start seeing a little change and you notice things, but up there it's like, it, it kind of looked the same. <laughs> Uh, it's nice to be able to sort of go through those different, <clears throat> those different uh, climates on when you're on trail. I know on the on the PCT, by the time by the time you reach the end of the desert, you're like, yeah, I'm done with the desert. I'm ready for some mountains. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. And that like hits you hard. Like you jump right up the Sierras pretty fast. Oh yeah, yeah. That's an emotional experience coming through the John Muir Trail. Yeah, mm -hmm. when you're just starting to hit the JMR, you're like, oh man, this is fantastic. This is good. This is what this is what it's all about. But the desert has its own beauty for sure. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, some days it's like brutally hot, but I mean, you remember those days too, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. The, <laughs> the, the, the good, the good warm days. Man, I did a fair amount of night hiking. I don't know how much I'm I'm guessing you probably have done quite a lot of night hiking as well, but I always loved the night hiking. Yeah. It's um I not too much, but I mean, maybe like oh, seven days out of a through hike, yeah. Maybe go adventure out at night. Yeah. But for the most part, I stuck with the day hikes and stuff. Gotcha. But I mean, I mean, that's at the nighttime with the stars, and maybe you run into people and you night hike together. It's always fun too. Oh yeah, totally, absolutely. Dan, I have always been curious 
how did this whole journey start? Like what sparked your interest in long distance through hiking? That's uh, kind of a long story, <laughs> but right. uh, I grew up in a pretty adventurous family and taking family trips. And um, basically whenever you're a senior in high school, you get to pick whatever, anywhere in the 48, uh, whatever destination. And over Thanksgiving, it's about 10 days um, of vacation. And so we'd all jump in the car and go to wherever uh, my older siblings wanted to go. And then eventually that transferred into going out to Glacier National Park for uh, three, four years. And then I got into, I uh, ran into a guy in the backcountry in Glacier National Park saying how brutal and awesome the Pacific Crest Trail was. And he ate like macaroni and cheese all the way through Washington. And he was like, I'm totally done with the PCT. But then he also had like crazy other stories. And so I was like, wrote it in the dirt took a picture of it so I could remember, got back home. And then the next year in 2014, I went out and did the Wonderland Trail just to figure out if I wanted to start through hiking. So then I committed in 2014 uh, to the Pacific Crest in 2015. Boy, the Wonderland is just beautiful. Oh yeah. It kicked my butt because my backpack was like Bill Bryson, like so heavy <laughs> the the learning exp going through the learning experience of what you should have and what you don't have to take oh yeah but i was packing out like pounds of deli meat and stuff i was eating pretty good on the wonderland that's awesome man i i uh when i got into backpacking i had no idea what i was doing and i ended up in the grand canyon going down into the grand canyon with about 65 pounds like a moron for one night and it was in august too so it was like oh it cools down to like 120 at night <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was so brutal it was the dumbest thing i could have ever done but man definitely got the memories <laughs> oh yeah man That's awesome so you did the pct in 2015 and i was it was kind of interesting because i was reading on your website that you say you said on the website that you were even pondering the idea of the Appalachian Trail when you were on the PCT. Is that correct? Yeah. So I didn't, I don't like to commit to something until I'm like, no, I'm going to do it. And that can really be hard to like figure out when that uh, stage is. But I didn't want to commit to the AT till uh, I was halfway through the PCT. And uh, a lot of the front runners on the PCT in 2015, I didn't even like run into till like the end of the Sierras. And then I took a week off and then uh, Double Magic, who I've hiked with quite a bit, um, Himalayas in Nepal and Alaska. But yeah, he was ahead of me. And then I, so he jumped over the AT and I followed him down the AT. But yeah, I committed about halfway through. Once I got through the Sierras, I, I thought there was a good chance I'd still have just enough time to go southbound and still make it. And uh, it was getting cold by the time I got to Springer Mountain, but it was a nice experience, you know going southbound with less hikers on the Appalachian Trail. At what point did you decide that you wanted to attempt breaking the unsupported speed record? Yeah, the self-supported speed record. I was contemplating that actually in uh, on the Appalachian Trail in 2015. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Anish broke the speed record in 2015. Around, Yeah, uh -huh, I think so. So I never ran into her or whatnot, but when I got word of her, she was on the AT. Maybe she finished before I even got over there. I'm not even sure. 
but I was rolling some crazy miles through um, some rolling hills and I was carrying all my heavy gear and whatnot and I was still crushing it. So that's when I like kind of pondered the idea of possibly maybe doing a speed record in the future. Like maybe, maybe I can do this. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I like challenges and whatnot, but uh, yeah, it was definitely a learning curve, but yeah, I was, I was doing some crazy miles when I was going southbound on the AT because I actually, when I got over the AT, I took a month off and I flew back home for my parents' anniversary. And then I flew back out to the AT. So I finished December 7th at Springer mountain so I was, I was doing some good miles, but then I still got like talked into going to hiker Thanksgiving. I got, I got hauled in the van. I didn't have an option. <laughs> I can't <laughs> miss Janet, miss Janet threw me in the van. She's like, you got to go to hiker Thanksgiving. I had a great time because it's away from my family, but then I had my, all my hiker friends, you know, that, and that was a great time. Then I hit the Shannon Doas in the fall time. Mm-hmm. So it was, um, it was a good experience, although like it was freezing rain and the, the Rockies by the time I got there, but it was, uh, it was a good year in 2015. Hmm. Did you, have you ever run into Rebo out there on the trails? Oh yeah. Rebo. Good yeah, old yeah. Rebo. Good old Rebo, man. <laughs> that guy is out there on the PCT every, every year, <laughs> just, just slogging it. <laughs> oh yeah. He's a funny dude. Yeah, yeah, man. He's a, he's a character. I, I keep pondering the idea of calling him up and being like, Hey, you want to be on the podcast just as like an excuse to get his story. I'm just really curious. <laughs> dude, that's a great question. Cause I'm not even sure on that. I ran into him a handful of times. he like, I definitely know him. He knows me. And like, we keep in contact a little bit every, like, maybe like six months a year. And it's like, Hey, what's up, man? Like crazy. <laughs> but yeah, if you go on the PZT, you'll probably see him. Yeah. You know, the whole mind over matter thing is so important. I, I've, I've told people, you know, if you want to go through hike a trail, go out and hike 20 miles. And then if you're complaining by the end, maybe it's not for you. <laughs> You know, like you really have Mm. to embrace the pain. You have to appreciate the pain because even you as big of an athlete as you are, I assume that you definitely go through uh, a pain and deal with problems um, along the way physically. Oh yeah. I mean, even like going through Alaska, um, the last time through the 2,500 miles, like the first week when I started, I'm like, what am I doing with my life? Like I'm in the middle, I'm on this beach. There is no one around. I might even be like running out of food in my first section. Like, but I'm like, why am I here? And then I'm like, I'm not working. I'm enjoying. I'm doing whatever I want to do. I'm here, like out here with like nature and like enjoying like amazing creations that very few people get to see. So yeah, for a lot of people, I just feel like start slow and work your way up. And then eventually you got to like, whenever you get a good feel of like, what your challenge is and if you want to like take it on that's great but like i always tell people i started doing eight miles a day on the pacific crest trail in 2015 i gradually worked my way up so wow crazy i wanted to ask you about ultra light i wanted to have this conversation i know like you said when you started you were carrying really heavy packs but ultimately to go for the speed record the unsupported speed record of the at you really had to shave down your weight and so what has been your journey with becoming more ultra light so basically like my whole idea um is to carry big packs but not carry 
like tons of heavy stuff in it. So like normally I'm carrying my uh, ULA catalyst, huge pack, massive pack. And my backpack, my sleeping bag is taking like half of that. And then the rest is like all the same. So going from that all the way down to a speed record, I kind of contemplated, you know, hypothermia at night. And <laughs> if I, you know, could make like a emergency bivy work. So there was a handful of nights uh, I had like hypothermic conditions and it got a little sketchy um, a handful of times. There's no doubt about it. Uh, but I mean, I don't know, just kind of like you said, mind over matter and like, after I like got like certain ways, like certain parts of the trail, it's like, okay, I can do that next section. I can do that next section. And I'll swap it out my shoes quite often. Um, but yeah, it's kind of just like drop it down. Basically I was carrying food and I was eating like 14 cliff bars a day. It was uh, a lot of cliff bars. <laughs> hmm. How do you break up a distance like that? Because if you look, if you come to the trail and you look at it as the full, you know, mileage, you may get overwhelmed. So are you breaking it up day by day? Are you breaking it up, you know, on a, on a half day basis? How are you breaking this up in your mind so that it doesn't seem like such a massive project? Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like a lot of people like do the section to section and then like keep going on the next section for me, like. I'm always out there and like, I don't get too overwhelmed by the whole situation. Like if I'm not having fun, like for three days, then I'll have to like really think about like, if I really want to stay on that trail and if I really want to keep going. So that's why it was really hard when in the, when I was in the boundary waters this year, because I don't like quitting what I'm setting out for, but I just wasn't enjoying it enough to stay out there. So yeah. Everyone does it a little bit different, you know? Yeah. Some of it is just really your passion. You have to be passionate about it. If you're not, you probably shouldn't be out there. Definitely. Yeah. Have, have you ever had any companies, um, approach you about sponsoring you in any way, or have you ever tried to find some sponsors? Uh, surprisingly, no, I've reached out to quite a few people, but I kind of have like drifted away from a lot of the reaching out and stuff, but, um, I hit up my one sponsor is Zubas, my zebra pants. I was wearing Zubas constantly for like the first like three, four years wearing them. I wore two through the freezing Sierras. <laughs> and so like I have hundred percent cotton pants on Zubas, zebra stripe pants, and I'm making it through like 2015. There was a, quite a bit of snow for being early. And, uh, yeah, like anything below my knees was all frozen at the end of the night and the shoes were freezing at night and I was still learning like, like the ideas and like the tricks to get past it all. Yeah. They thought it was crazy. Cause even like all the roads were shut down too, when I was going through the Sierras in 2015. So Kenny Meadows North, that road that drops down into Kenny Meadows North, that was shut down. Everything was shut down. What time of year were you going through there? That is a good question. Um, I would be so I curious. Don't even know because when I went when I went through there in 2015, um, I dropped down into um, Lone Pine, 
And that night, like three feet of snow fell in the Sierras and people were trying, people were like trying to pass and they couldn't get through. And then, and then like, there was a body that was found, but it was like an old body. Yeah. Somebody had like fallen and slid down the mountain on Forrester, Forrester uh -huh, on Forrester pass. And so I camped on that pass, man. Did you? <laughs> No, no, I was kidding. I was literally a quarter mile away, probably when they found him like a week later or something. Wow. But that's when we the front runners, supposedly us up in front was um I didn't have any maps or GPS. So I um I kind of wait and sat in when I had the snow line hit because I broke my phone. I didn't have topo maps. And so I was just gonna sit on trail until Baller and Malcolm came. And then I hopped in with them. And then there was a big mile that caught up to me. He was a, a guy from Mexico City. He could crush some crazy miles, but then he took like a, a week off, then went to like San Fran, came back, didn't have any proper gear. I went over Forster Pass with Big Mile, and then he got freaked out, and I never saw him or heard from him again because we camped like three-quarters of the way up on the pass on the ridge, and my Big Agnes Fly Creek is going 45-degree angle all night, and I'm like, I can't do anything. Like – it's a two man too. So I was like over like the trail and he was in a bivy, but basically after that, he bailed out a Keir Sarge and then Bowler and Malcolm caught up. And I know what you're talking about with those three feet, because we got to mammoth and I barely got in with Bowler and Malcolm and the guys behind me, Boa, double magic, and a couple other guys, they were like going through crazy snow and like we made it into mammoth lakes. You guys just made it through. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. That was crazy. That's crazy. You know, now I've, I've had quite a lot of experience with mountaineering up to this point in my life, but when I was doing the PCT, I didn't have as much experience. And I have to say that like, if you have the proper gear, it's not that big of a deal passing through there, but it's like that person that doesn't have the proper gear. I mean, those are some proper steep mountains. And if you're hiking early in the morning when it's frozen and you don't have any type of crampons or, or, you know, micro spikes rather, uh, if you don't have anything to catch yourself if you do slip and fall i mean the reality of slipping and falling down that mountain is definitely there mm -hmm. yeah so, for sure yeah and that's why the hostels in like lone pine make a make a killing off of micro spikes <laughs> oh yeah definitely <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah i had uh, i had one scary instance when i was doing the great himalayan trail in nepal and i didn't get the memo that you needed crampons and I, uh, I had a pretty scary situation. I was lucky I didn't break my leg because I was sliding down the mountain for quite a while and uh, like somehow staying in between both sides of the rocks and my phone went off the mountain and luckily I was able to stop. But yeah, I micro spikes and even, even in the Sierras with like Glen Pass, like they get steep real fast. Yeah. Yeah. What is your thoughts? Cause I think the, one of the conversations that I heard was people were like, okay, do we go with micro spikes and some type of an ax or do we go with one versus the other? Which one would you rather go with? Ooh, one or the other. See, that's a toss up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would definitely say, uh, what I used in Nepal was, um, I had to use them on the PCT too uh were the ultra i think they're made by corsa they're aluminum they're, they're like, like super light are they like the walking pole slash what do they call those the walking pole with the axe end on it 
No, I haven't used that one. It's uh, uh it's crampons, but it's it's a uh, little less points, but it's only like 14 ounces. Yeah, crampons. yeah, they're like the like the little micro spikes. Yeah, they're the little rubber. They're the ones that I had were like red. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, those are kind I would of the definitely typical... micro spikes over crampons. It's kind of a yeah, a little toss up, but I don't know. Like when I was going through, I had my Corsa Ice Axe. And I got the smallest version because that saved me like a half an ounce. Yeah. <laughs> Even about. though it wasn't like not the right size for me, but yeah, it was um definitely even on the CDT, I've I had to use my course ice axe once from oh really sliding. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. What uh what are your go-to trail runner these days? Go-to trail runner. Um after doing the Arizona trail, tra- attempting their trail speed record. I was using the speed goat twos and uh, there's just nothing like cushion. And so I would definitely do the speed goat twos and now I got the threes, but I don't get up. I mean, I don't speed run. I don't get out on trail and run too much. Uh, believe it or not. I'm just like starting to get back into running, but I'm more into like trekking. And then like, I feel like long endurance. Uh, I was up for the, like that challenge and whatnot, but um for like speed records and stuff, I feel like 700 to about 1200 miles is uh, the most ideal because then your body starts breaking down and it's really, really not healthy. Hmm. Interesting. You know, I, I have always said that I'm not really much of a runner, but when I get on a trail, you know, I can average like a four, 4.3 mile an hour, just walking for hours and hours. And so like you can put on the miles when you're a proper, you know, when you're, when you're fast, when you're a fast trekker. So, I mean, I, I definitely respect that. So you know, I, I've been trying to get into running as well. Like I just went out on a 15 mile run yesterday and I kind of felt like I wrecked myself a little bit. Cause I wasn't ready for a 15 miler. <laughs> I was just enjoying the That's weather some miles, man. Yeah. Like it's not too hot outside, but, but, uh, yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're a fast walker, it's pretty easy. Like, I mean, my, my biggest day and nothing compared to any day you've ever done, but I did 45 was my biggest day on the PCT. And that was like, that was just from like five, five in the morning until, you know, late, uh, mid evening, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't that big of a deal, mm. but if you just keep moving, man, you can put on the miles for sure. Exactly. That's definitely the key. Yeah. yeah. Like in 2015, I thought this one guy was super fast and I always give him compliments, but finally when I caught up to him, I'm like, dude, you, you're slow, bro. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we always like keeping competition all the time. Yeah, it's my buddy from Colorado, Double Magic. So a lot of people know you as Knots, and for people out there who don't know what a trail name is, can you explain to them what a trail name is? A trail name. So basically, um, you kind of gotta find it yourself while you're out on the trail, and then people give it to you too. So for me, um, Knots for my dreadlocks. And then um, I got that hiking the Kekakabic Trail with my sister's father-in-law. So that kind of all started, I think that was 2014. And then following year, 2015, they drove me out and dropped me off. And they did the 28 miles from Oak, um, Oak Spring Creek, 28-mile mark south. And then I jumped back up and went north from there. But I hiked the first 28 miles from them. So, uh, yeah, it's kind of people give you the name and then it kind of, you got to accept the name and then it, it kind of like rolls with you. 
I got mixed emotions on, you know, not, it's not for everyone, but uh, for the most part, you know, that was like the big divide with the PCT and the AT. I feel it wasn't it like more the Appalachian trail doing like the trail names, like way back in the day and the PCT years weren't doing it. You know, I think so. But by 2015, I felt like it was very much adopted on the PCT. I didn't know anybody by their real name. I mean, I can just, <laughs> I can just rattle off all of these trail names and I didn't have a clue who they were, you know, I, the ones yeah. that come to mind is like uh, green flash swamp water was a gentleman that I met <laughs> still having a swamp waters story was supposedly he spent many years in South America and he ended up, there was a, a drought and he drank swamp water for a really long time without boiling it. And suppose, oh supposedly he was doing the whole PCT without a water filter. And I hiked with this guy for a few days and I seen him drink the grossest water without filtering it. And he's like, Oh, I can't get sick. <laughs> he never got sick then, huh? Dude, I hiked with this guy for two or three days and we came upon this spring in Southern California and he started making fun of me for filtering the water. So I was like, so I was like, well, it probably, it looks pretty clean. I mean, I drink water in, in, you know, growing up in North Idaho, we used to drink water without filtering it all the time up in the mountains. So I was like, oh dude, I, I don't oh, yeah. have to filter this. So I didn't filter it. And then a couple of days later, it was my, it was my 21st birthday and I came down down with the worst jardia dude and i ended oh, up oh shit i ended up in a hotel room just yeah, that's, that, <laughs> so, that is not fun at all bro yeah yeah it's bad <laughs> at least he had a hotel room right yeah you know it was uh it was the hotel room in um oh my i can't remember it's a pass it's just outside of la heading east um there's a mcdonald's there i can't remember cajon pass yeah it was cajon pass bro i right was by the, Redwood. uh-huh yep i spent the uh, night in that yeah. hotel my, my <laughs> 21st birthday in the hotel they're just miserable as i'll get out <laughs> nice yeah so i would really like to transition and talk a little bit more about your speed record you know for for people out there who have no concept in their mind of what it takes to beat uh, a speed record like this um on the appalachian trail what kind of miles were you doing every day um so when i first started the first day i did 60.1 i believe i um i basically i i trained uh training is huge so to do my main idea of the appalachian trail speed record i did about 1500 miles so i did from ghost ranch south on the Cottonelle divide trail 700 800 miles to the border and then i hitchhiked and it took me only one day to hitchhike believe it or not from the cdt lordsburg all the way to the trailhead of the pacific crest trail and then i started going north and then i got off at sawmill pass and um it's right when you start the sierras and stuff it's not too far up there it's beautiful going down through sawmill pass um because not very many people do it so then right after that, I was trying to make it all the way to Bishop Pass, but, you know, there's always that cornice, that gnarly cornice. So there's very, like, few hikers that can get up and over that and drop down to Bishop. So I didn't want to take the chance, and I definitely didn't have any ropes. Mm. And so I went out at Sawmill, and it was still a little sketchy. Um, I was glissading down the pass for quite a while, and then – uh I dropped into 395 and then I hitchhiked up to Reno to fly out to the East coast, but mainly, yeah, it's, it takes a lot of training. I did. I feel like I did too much training. So really, um, 
Yeah. Explain that for me. Well, I just feel like, well, I was pushing it hard too um, because I was trying to make it closer to Reno before I started hitchhiking. And so I was pushing with a pretty heavy pack and through the Sierras and having cold gear. But I feel like about a thousand miles was more than enough for training. For me, it doesn't. But uh, yeah, it's it's kind of mentally, it's very hard to uh, push yourself that hard and uh, wake up and have motivation. And so a lot of the times I was, uh, I took the concept of sleeping so many minutes and then just hiking as far as I could and then sleeping for so many minutes. So a lot of times on my speed record, I would sleep right on the trail. And then I would sleep till someone would walk by and then I'd wake up and they'd ask me basically if I was okay. And I was like, yeah, thanks, man. You just woke me up. I'm ready to go again. But then every, like maybe every week or two, then like I would just be completely drained. I'd, I'd have to sleep like 12 hours straight. Um, but for the most part, uh, for me, I did a lot of walking on my Appalachian Trail speed record where uh, you could get like a happy medium mix of running and then also walking. But I mean, when I started that my Appalachian Trail speed record, I was still sending out food drops while I was hiking the Appalachian Trail. <laughs> so oh I sent out all my food drops by myself. And uh, before I started hiking, and then I still had a couple uh, of resupplies I needed to figure out while I was on trail doing the speed record too. So it was a little stressful. So basically the difference between a supported and an unsupported is you're completely on your own. You have to get yourself to town. You have to resupply on your own, get yourself back out to the trail and continue on your way. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So that really limits where you can resupply for food and then where you can ship food. And then also like not having a pacer, not having, um, yeah, wake up call or uh, like anyone just to give you water when you need water. I mean, sometimes you got to go off trail to get water. So it seems like the mental game would just be so much harder doing an unsupported because you really have nobody there. Definitely. Yeah. For the most part, uh, I would actually like, even though I wasn't like walking a super fast pace, I would run into people all the time on my speed record and just walk at two miles per hour and just talk to people. And they like, I, I always, it's kind of like what I did when I was walking, like any trail, I like to talk to people and see like their background life story a little bit, like how they grew up and like where they're at now, you know? And so I, I did that a lot when I was even doing my speed record, I would walk with people doing like two miles per hour, believe it or not. And <laughs> just like, just so I could talk to someone. Cause mentally, like I was, you just gotta like be able to, you know, you start to lose your mind. Yeah. When definitely. you don't talk to humans, you start to lose <laughs> your brain. I mean, I was, I was blowing back past tons of people, but yeah, I just got to find that happy medium too. Yeah. What are your thoughts on, uh, Timothy Olson? Have you been following his, his journey? So is it the guy that did the speed, uh, PCT? Yeah. Okay, so believe it or not, I, I, I don't even pay attention to speed records anymore <laughs> after, like, my incident. Yeah. Uh, but my buddy from Colorado hit me up. He's like, dude, are you serious? <laughs> and he, like, messaged me. I was like, okay, like, I don't got time for this right now. So, like, two weeks later, I think it was, like, five days ago, I, like, looked up some stuff. And 
I was, yeah, I, I, I haven't done much information on it. Um, but correct me if I'm wrong. He, he did lots of road walking because to get around the fire closers, or he didn't even do road walking and he hitchhiked or took cars and then kept going. It's hard to say because they're they're claiming that he now holds the speed record, the supported speed record. So I think he did road walking around, but whatever he did, it's supposedly legitimate. Yeah. See how does I that mean, work? I mean, how does a trail how how does a record how is a record legitimate if you have to do a whole lot of road walking? Yeah, I, I totally disagree with that. If it's not the trail, if it's not the same miles, it should not be the speed record. Talk to me about the politics of all of this. I feel like there's some politics behind this, behind um, speed records. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, I've, I've gotten out of it a lot now, but in 2017, right after I went through all that craziness, I mean, <clears throat> I was getting hit from every side. And I mean, they did a bit on me. I can't even remember what her name was, but she like, interviewed me and then she didn't get back to me and then she posted stuff that wasn't even true is and then like the judges for the fkt is just i mean they're not even agreeing on the same rules and the same concepts so i don't know who like they're going through but it's obviously like they're letting people do this and then they're letting people do that and then now they're doing a bunch of other stuff too. So like, I haven't paid attention since 2017 too much, but. Did it kind I, of give you a distaste in your mouth for all of it? Yeah, definitely. Like, especially how I was treated. It was, it was way over the top. Um, like I, I went in there, I did everything I needed to do. Um, my, my GPS, my spot device broke literally three times in my life. So now I have a Garmin inReach um, mini um but yeah my spot device and even when I was doing that like they had absolutely nothing to disprove like my speed record but they were just like trying to bash me constantly and um so they came out with like tons of information um because I would I talked to one guy and then he like tried to disprove everything and then I was like he came up with like this one sheet and he's like well then tried to disprove it and I was like well, I can but like I still have it in my Google documents, but like <laughs> I'm, I'm just over it. It's it must whatever. have taken a little a little bit a little bit to get over that one though. Yeah, I mean the thing is it didn't help that a chick cheated the year before and then um trying to get sponsors and then the other uh female with her saying that she hiked the AT and the PCT on on a, a robot leg. You remember that lady? I do remember hearing about her just just briefly. It was it was on NBC nighttime. It was on uh, national news, man. And so like this company was like trying to like sell her stuff. And that's that's how I took it. And so like she said she did it, but I mean, you know the PCT. She yeah. claimed she did it in the snow with her like robot leg and like <laughs> you're not you, you can't do that not in snow man <laughs> no no that's a hard one to believe so it's it blatantly obvious if you know anything about it and it was on like but yeah trying I mean, to sell that, some products basically and yeah. the thing is like when i did my speed record i already did the pct the at and the cdt 
I already did my triple crown and I did the GDT and the superior hiking trail. So it's not my first, like I do it the right way. And, you know, tons of people like I've ran into, you know, they knew me and stuff. And I talked to tons of people on the Appalachian trail. I mean, there's tons of people like, what are you talking about? Like he clearly did it, you know? Oh, totally. I think there's a lot of people who were definitely on your side with this, but the politics of it just really seemed, it really did not seem in your favor whatsoever. Yeah. So basically right when I finished, I was like, uh, okay, I finished. (laughs) And uh, Peter Bachwin was overseas internationally and he doesn't even make a comment to me. He's like, well, I'm overseas. Like I can't do this or that. I'm on vacation. I'm like, okay, whatever. And then they finally get back to me a little bit. And then they like try like discrediting me. It was just like, it didn't feel like I broke a speed record. It felt like I was being interrogated constantly because like, yeah, what I went through was no one should ever go through that. Yeah. Oh, that's awful. Well, just so you know, there was a lot of people out there cheering you on, man. And when you finished, finished that up, man, we were definitely, <clears throat> definitely excited about what you had done. And yeah, dude, it was yeah. pretty crazy. Uh, I mean, like, I guess the biggest thing that everyone got uh, mad about was, I can't remember what park it was, but it was further up. And then the chick before she got, she clearly cheated and whatnot. And totally disproved so i was like okay anything i do do not go in a car so i got to one park and then i paid someone to go get me more batteries for my spot device and then i waited in the park and they're saying since i paid someone that i should be dq'd for that even though i didn't plan it ahead of time to pay someone like i had to pay a driver at the park i had to find a driver pay a driver and then i had to give money to a hiker to go to get batteries and come back. It was still unsupported. You were still doing all of that on your own on the fly. Yeah. Self-supported, self-supported. Self-supported. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, yeah. So like, it's just nonsense with that. And like the judges don't agree on like half of that. Like they don't all agree on anything. So, but the other cool thing was like, when I got up to like Mount Katahdin, the last big mountain, I have no clue how long I slept for. So my sister and then my dad drove out from Minnesota all the way up to Maine, Mount Katahdin. And uh, they were going to drive me all the way back. And I was just like so destroyed. And I was like probably like a mile from the top. And I was so destroyed. I laid down on a rock and I have absolutely no idea how long I slept for. But I got back up after maybe two hours. I have no clue. And then, uh, yeah, I finally made it to the top. And wow. the funny thing was, like, people were, like, bashing me online. Like, oh, he's standing on the sign. He's, like, doing this. He's doing that. There's a park ranger up on top that was, like, I talked to everyone up there. Everyone was chill. I wasn't popping champagne. Like, like who was the guy that made $100,000 from Red Bull? I can't remember. He- he failed two times to break the supported speed record. And then finally Red Bull gave him another chance for a hundred thousand dollars. And then he actually broke it. But now like the guys coming after him with like string bean and Joey and even the other guys now, like it just proves like how much you can push yourself as long as like you train, right. You have like correct, like care for your feet. Mm-hmm. Like you can really push yourself. 
Yeah, you know, I uh, it's funny. I, I'm sitting here right now looking at the photo of you standing on the sign as you're talking about that. <laughs> and uh, in your boxers, what happened to your Zumbas? <laughs> well, I had to go out your light, man. <laughs> oh, totally, totally. Like it was time to just, it was time to cut the Zumbas. <laughs> yeah, I let them free. I mean, 100% cotton. They could, I, I was actually, I wanted my sister to bring uh, my Zubas so I could take a picture with my Zubas and then no one no one probably would have believed me like oh he carried cotton pants for 2,000 miles yeah right <laughs> you know, like but no I, I wanted to rep my Zubas because those guys are great um, super comfortable pants but I was gonna actually do a handstand on the sign but I was I was too tired just too wrecked destroyed <laughs> yeah. I couldn't even make it down the mountain it, it took a long time to get down. What was the blister situation like? Do you get blisters very often? Um, for the most part, since I like walked so many miles beforehand, before starting the AT speed record, I, I had plenty of calluses <clears throat> yeah. and eventually like your calluses can harden up and crack and that can become a problem. But for the most part, my feet are pretty, pretty solid. My big toes get pretty solid calluses, ingrown toenails, that was a really big problem on the Appalachian Trail speed record. Yeah, I could see that. Hmm. I uh, I kicked a rock in the Rhone Mountains, and then uh, I finally made it out of the Rhones, and then I made it to Daleville. This is crazy. I haven't thought about this for, like, years. <laughs> <laughs> and so I get down to the uh, grocery store. I'm like, holy shit, like, what am I going to do? Like, I'm in pain, pain, like. I, I nick a rock and I'm like yelling, like even in the middle of the night, like I feel bad. Cause like, I probably like woke some people up on my speed record. Cause I nicked something, not being able to see. Cause I only had my headlamp on. I didn't have like a, a light on my hip or on my knees for my feet. So yeah, I would, I would scream like crazy. And so I was like trying to bend the nail back out and I almost passed out. And like, eventually like someone told me on Facebook. So I was like, Oh dude, what am I going to do about my feet? You know? And the, uh, the one guy I met on probably on the PCT said use super glue or not super glue. It was a liquid bandage. So it's in a glass bottle. And so I was putting that on multiple times a day and it's definitely not healthy because it, I would sweat it off. And so I'd have to keep putting it on keep putting it on. And so finally, after I'm up probably two days on the speed record at that time, I made it to the White Mountains, and then I continued on. I'm at Mount Washington. I go downstairs. There's, like, a downstairs for the hikers to, like, hang out, relax. Like, you made it all the way to the top. And, like, usually getting hit by crazy wind just to relax. I put my liquid bandage up on a table. And it rolled off the table, glass bottle, and it shattered. At that time, I'm like, I'm done. I'm uh. like, I, I can't hitchhike into town because I think Gorham, once you get all the way down and then through the Wildcats, you got to hitchhike an hour to the west and then an hour back. Uh. And I was like, there's no way. I'm over. It's done. And like, I'm like 1,700. I'm not even sure. It's in Vermont, I believe. Yeah, after that, I thought I was done after that too. I mean, so there's so many like hills and valleys for that speed record, but I finally got, I got down to the visitor center. Once you get off Mount Washington and you get to the visitor center and I was like talking to a park ranger there. I was like, is there anyone driving into town? Can I pay anyone to like drive me into town? I got to get liquid bandage. This guy, 
with a massive backpack walks into the visitor center. He was like a day hiker. He was like up in the mountains for like one or two days. He had everything in his backpack. And he's like, <laughs> liquid bandage? I got liquid bandage. He was carrying a glass bottle of liquid bandage. And so oh. I was like, what are the chances, man? So I was like, heck yes. I pretty much grabbed it. I probably cogged him. Probably not kiss. I should have kissed him. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, and then I was out. So that is fantastic. I remember seeing your toe on, on social media, you'd posted some photos and it was like, there is no way that he has the time to hike in to see a doctor, get anything, get anything proper to take care of this thing. I was in pain. I was in crazy amounts of pain. Every single rock I kicked, I was in brutal amounts of pain. So I've actually, I've taken out both my roots and both my big toenails now. Have you? I've wondered about that. I know that can be a really big problem for people who, who do long distance hiking and running too. Mm-hmm. So, and I, I think part of the problem was I was kicking steps in the snow in the Sierras. I think that might've led to some of the stuff, but yeah, I was, I didn't have crampons, which I probably should have because 2017 was a pretty crazy year too. It's even worse than 2015 when I went through. Oh, wow. But 2017, I was kicking steps, and that probably started something. I'm not – it's hard to pinpoint, but I did kick a rock really hard in the Rowan Mountains. I was just – as you were speaking about this, I, my, my mind keeps going back to – you know who Gary Robbins is? I do not, actually. Okay. All right. Never mind. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, he, uh, he's, uh, he held the speed record. I think it was 2015 for, um, the Wonderland trail and he held it for a couple years. And, but my point to that was just the fact that, you know, once it's been done, somebody comes along and is like, well, I can shave a couple days off of that. And, and the, the amount of, the amount of time that's getting shaved off of some of these, you know, trails like the Wonderland trail, it's crazy. I mean, we're getting so close to what the human body can do. It's like, what, what's the next person going to shave off? Like you can't shave off more than an hour. There's just no way. It's unbelievable. Definitely. It's so calculated. Well, that's the thing. Like it's, I, I was right at that turning point when I was getting ended on the AT in such like starting so early, I knew like I, Joey camps and string bean were the real deal. So like, I knew I could beat the speed record, but I didn't know. I was pretty sure that they could probably like outdo my time too. So, I mean, I wasn't surprised when they broke my speed record too. Um, but I just like, from what I went out there for was to beat the speed record. And I was pretty sure I could do that. So, I mean, yeah, speed records are getting broken all the time. People are having like better equipment, better shoes. And then also like different techniques on diet too. Oh, sure. Yeah. What was your diet like? My diet on the Appalachian Trail was pretty bad. <laughs> I'm pretty surprised. So basically, I, um, I'd have to look through my notes and stuff again. But from what I remember, it's 14 cliff bars basically a day. Instant rice. You know, there's not much nutrition in instant rice. Uh, turkey burger, hamburger. Um, and then basically, like any gas station. And the pizza, coffee, tons of coffee. I never drank coffee before the like the speed record, and I was drinking so much coffee on the speed record. And basically, every town, along with all the food resupplies I would get, 
I would just load up at gas stations and like one guy in Duncannon on the Pennsylvania, Duncannon, Pennsylvania. I uh, walked in the gas station in my briefs. He's like, whoa, bro. Like, that's pretty crazy, man. He's like, much props, man. <laughs> I was like, it's like, thanks, dude. <laughs> like normally, like I'm not wearing briefs anywhere, you know? <laughs> yeah. But for the AT, I was just like, you're not I typically ran... that guy. No, I'm definitely not that guy. Not until I ran into I ran into chips on the Appalachian Trail going southbound. He's from Pennsylvania. And he did a lot of hiking in the briefs because I mean he was from PA and it's always hot and humid there. Yeah. Do you have uh anything right off that you that could come to your mind that you would change if you did it again? Oh uh, yeah, definitely the diet. I uh, was not eating very good. Um, shoes. I, I bought the cheapest shoes. So my technique, I went through 12 pairs of shoes, but they were the ASIC Ventures fives or sixes. They were $50 shoes. So Dang. every, yeah, every 150, 200 miles, I, I did another pair of shoes. Um, but they were not much cushion, like cushion and shoes, very valuable. And then also, um, Definitely a Garmin and reach with like the tracking stuff nowadays. But I mean, I, I had a spot device. It just broke on me. And uh, they actually, I was contacting spot gen threes and they actually sent me a brand new device on that speed record. Oh, nice. Oh, really? So, yeah. So that was the crazy thing about it. But um, yeah, the, the battery life is also better, but definitely like the tricky thing about it like with the Arizona trail speed record, uh, what I was able to finagle my idea and my way in doing a speed record is to, it's tricky. Cause you got the first 150 miles. You have straight desert. You're going to get crushed. So if you hit that first 150 miles, good temperatures, then you get up out of that crazy desert. So it's kind of just hitting it at the right time too. And, uh, if it rains too much, then your feet get clay and muddy on the Arizona trail. Um, but then also if you start too late, all the water sources are dry. So it's really, if you start too early, you're hitting snow in uh, Flagstaff, you know? So it's, there's different, like, uh, and that's not just that trail. There's the Appalachian trail for sure. And mm. also the Pacific crest, but yeah, it's definitely tricky with the uh, timing. There's just a lot of strategy that goes, goes into this. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. And like, if I go and like, if I try the Arizona trail speed record or the Colorado trail speed record again, I'll, I'll probably do it supported just so I can do it with like family and friends and like any of my hiking buddies that want to come out and like pace me and stuff. I'd be totally up for that. You know, totally, but, totally dude. Let me know. I want to come out and, jo <laughs> and join you. I'm going to come out and join you, man. <laughs> I'll do it. Dude, that'd be pretty crazy, dude. Man, that's awesome. <laughs> but right now I'm I'm not planning for that. I don't like push my body too much after I tore my Achilles. I, I don't want to tear it again. So for the Arizona Trail speed record, I I hit right around mile 50 doing the right pace, doing 50, 53 a day. And then I just felt something in my left Achilles. And <laughs> I was committed to go up to Alaska and guy to guy. So I uh I didn't want to like be like sorry guy 
Like <laughs> I, I tore my Achilles. I can't walk, you know? So totally. I kind of, I, I stuck safe with it. Totally. I suppose it's really important to know when to just like take a break. Yeah, definitely that too. And I mean, for me, like, I don't know. I always got to get filled in with a couple of my hiking friends that they like hitting podcasts and like researching and stuff. Like for me, like, I just like, like waking up in the mornings, like doing the, like the through hike and stuff, you know, like I, uh, I don't do the history stuff too much, but I love hearing about it. I love getting filled in, you know? So that's why I love like listening to podcasts and eventually start doing it more, man. I totally respect kind of just going into it on your own and just sort of doing your own thing and not spending too much time. Like we have this problem in our society these days, people just like spend too much time researching. Everybody's over researching and it's just got to get out and do it. Oh yeah, definitely. Exactly. It's just getting out and doing it. And like, even on my speed record on the Appalachian trail, I ran into one gallon and I was like, I knew the name. And, you know, I was like, holy shit, this dude's a fucking legend, you know? <laughs> so I'm, like, hanging out. There's a train station that goes into New York City at a, a garden center. So I was, like, I hiked with him all the way there. And then he was going to take a break, I think, going to New York City. But I was, like, yeah, I'm going to, like, talk, chat, hang out. So, like, on my speed record, I should have been sleeping all the time and then hiking. But there were so many times I would just, like, chatting to people i'm like dude this is like a legendary guy man i gotta talk to him i gotta like see what's up so i mean i'm staying up i was buying i don't know if i bought him a drink or whatnot i had it i had some sodas with him and whatnot and some ice cream but it's like normally like you're sleeping and you're walking but like for me like you have to take was, in those moments exactly yeah like it's more than just like doing the speed record so it's dan that is why I appreciate your style of hiking so much is you're, you're in it to, for the experience, even more so than just like going for the speed record. Yeah, for sure, man. I love, you know, being flexible and just like bouncing off and, you know, people like running in guys, even on the CDT, like some legendary hikers. And I still keep in contact with guys. Like even this last year is crazy. I've been totally off trail. Like I haven't been on the PCT, AT or CDT, but like guys are reaching out from like Helena, Montana, trail angels, trail angels from Darby, Montana. And like, and there's just like friends too, like other hikers, like hit me up, like seeing that they're still out there hiking. It's just like, it's cool. I want to talk about Alaska, but before we do, do you have any like hitchhiking stories that you can tell us just like one or two or, or, you know, just something that <laughs> I know you have a ton, but <clears throat> something that may stick out in your mind. Hitchhiking is awesome, man. I love hitchhiking. I feel like you meet so many amazing people. Exactly. And, uh, I mean, you know, you, you definitely sometimes run into some unsavory people, but for the most part, most people that you meet are just super solid people. Spot on. Exactly. Like, I love like being out there and like running to people, like kind of learning their life story, you know? And like, I feel like even like through all my adventures, I feel like I should be like writing down like other people's adventures and like how people like, I feel like that'd be a pretty cool book, you know? But like, that's why I do like also enjoy hiking, hitchhiking is just like meeting people, you know? That's the one thing I haven't tallied up is how many hitchhiking miles I've had because <laughs> I have hitchhiked a lot, like crazy miles. 
just from like two trail and back to the other trail, you know? Um, one time I didn't want to pay a bus, a Greyhound bus. So I was like, okay, whatever. I'm going to hitchhike. I got plenty of time, you know, take a week. It should take like maybe one or two days. If it takes a week, that's totally fine too. So I hitchhiked from Mesa to Lordsburg, New Mexico. And, uh, it was through some reservations and uh, so, like, I got picked up. It was really hard to get out. Like, I've walked out of airports and walked into airports way too many times in my life, too. Because <laughs> a lot of times there's no, like, sidewalks going into airports. Everyone drives or takes a taxi. So I walked out of the airport, caught a ride finally. It was hard to get a ride out of town, Big City Reno. So I caught my first ride an hour east, um, got out of Reno. And I still talk to those guys all the time. And then eventually I caught a ride with, uh, through the reservation and they were pretty crazy. Uh, they had been drinking all night and I think they were probably doing some hardcore drugs. Uh, but I really needed the ride. So it was like the toss up. Do I take the ride? Do I play it safe? And so I was like, I think they're pretty chill. And so, uh, I jumped in with them, but then they wanted to party with me. And I was like, no, I'm like going to the trail to start my through hike on the continental divide trail. So, uh, it turned a little, like more of like trying to get out of trying to not party with these crazy guys. <laughs> <laughs> Cause they were all for the party, but eventually they like turned out to be like super chill. Um, and then they, they dropped me off and then we all had a meal. Like, yeah. But like they drove me like two hours out and then I've got a lot closer to Lordsburg, New Mexico. But then I ran into more guys from like Minnesota, grew up in Minnesota, picked me up in a Jeep and, and uh, yeah, just tons of hitchhiking stories. I feel like, um, Oh yeah. But I mean, ones that stick out are usually like the, the sketchier ones, like the ones <laughs> totally the partying and stuff. Uh huh. Yeah. I have one of those from Lake Isabella. Lake Isabella is kind of a sketchy area. Isabella. <laughs> Remember Lake Isabella? It's uh, it was a dried up lake bed practically when I went through there. I, I mean, 2015, but you know, I mean, it, it's that situation where you don't, you, you really want the ride. So you just take it anyway. And then later you're like, you know, like, I'm kind of glad I'm alive now. Like these guys were really messed up. Like these guys were, these guys were smoking a legit crack pipe while I was in the vehicle. Yeah. That's, that's pretty crazy, bro. <laughs> but for the most part, people are really great and uh, nothing, but really overall, nothing but positive experiences. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's always, you know, you run into bad apples here and there. It takes a little technique to figure out how do you get, like, stay away from bad situations too mm. before they become bad. But it you kind of just have to learn on the run and, like, gradually learn those, you know, techniques. Hey, everyone. I really hope you've been enjoying this episode. I know I had a lot of fun recording it, uh, reminiscing with Dan on the Pacific Crest Trail and also hearing about his speed record on the Appalachian Trail. I decided to break up this episode into two parts because this was a two hour, over a two hour episode that we recorded. So if you have enjoyed this episode, you will not wanna miss the second part in two weeks. 
we will be talking about Dan's adventures in Alaska, as well as his hiking experience in Nepal. And also we will be talking about his experiences in India, where he actually purchased a motorcycle to ride to the southern tip of India and back again. But not before India was hit with the coronavirus in 2020, and he ended up getting stuck in India for over three weeks trying to get out. If you want to learn more about Dan, you can follow him on Instagram at crazynots, or you can go to his website, crazynots.com, to learn more about him. I will be looking forward to sharing the second part of this episode with you next time. Mm-hmm.